The Hump, episode 37, The Music of Our Lives. Welcome to The Hump, your show about how to get one over in this thing called life. This is Brent Bowen. Chad Beeland. And look at us, dude. We're like vaccinated and together in the same physical space. This is so reminding me of uh, that Paul Rudd deal from Hot Ones where he's like, you ever think we would be here? Not me. (laughs) Not me. (laughs) Not me. Look at us. Look at us. I have seen that movie once and it's been so long ago. Now I need to go rewatch it now that you've said well, it's that. the TV show where they eat yeah. hot wings and yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's the, the thing TV show you were yeah. telling me about. I thought he was in like a movie that, w- but that was like one hot summer or something like oh, that. Oh yeah. He was one. Yeah. From like year 2000. Yeah. It's a long time ago, a long time ago. Hmm. So what are we, what are we drinking tonight? Since you're, you brought the beer tonight. I just supplied the glasses. Well, since we're meeting in person, I thought we needed something special. So a little Manhattan Brewing Company from the Little Apple, Manhattan, Kansas. It's their Anustar New England IPA. The Anustar New England IPA. And you gifted to me, it was a Manhattan beer last week. It was like this orange yeah. sickle yeah, type. Yeah, little cream sickle. Cream sickle IPA, which... I know it wasn't particularly your flavor, but I really, I enjoyed it while I was grilling. Yeah. Wonderful grill beer. Yeah. I just thought they went a little heavy on the lactose, but Mm. I have strong feelings about that. About heavy lactose? Yeah. Too much. I feel like it gets like antiseptic. Like it's Mm. takes it too far. I didn't get that out of that beer, but second Manhattan beer I've had, or at least was the squid ink. That yeah, that was another beer one. Too. Now that was delightful. You're almost exclusively drinking Manhattan beers now. Out of well, at least within the last week. Yeah. Look at us. Uh I did buy a Lawrence beer that I'm gonna gift to you. Yeah. And in my advanced age, I've neglected to remember the brewery or the beer other than it's a hazy IPA. You've had it. I checked your untapped. You Sounds did. like Fields and Ivy to me. It is Fields and Ivy. Yeah. And you gave it high marks, though. You enjoyed it. I, Lawrence Beer's fine with me. All right. I don't discriminate. All right. Yeah. Nor do, nor do I. And so when we talked last, we started this conversation about beer and we're going to be doing a series about beer. And we've got some guests that are coming up that are going to help us talk about beer and craft cocktails. And just, you know, we did that pandemic episode about people taking it too far. And, and abuse. So we're kind of leaning in. Well, not leaning into the abuse, but leaning into the idea of maybe well, enjoying some of these. Yeah, I products. think when the pandemic started, we leaned in maybe a little too far and then we pulled back. And now that we pulled back and we're comfortable, we're going to lean back in again. Yeah. Now that we can go, go outside and be together and celebrate. Yes. We're going to lean, but we're going to lean back in. So humans. Yeah. Alana Gwinner, who has been a past guest. On the show, a lot of people will know her as 113 KC, and she's a prominent voice within the Kansas City area about the craft beer scene. 
she's coming back on the show here in a couple of weeks. So she's going to come back on and we're going to talk about our conversation of the state of craft beer. She's had some strong, she's been a strong voice, particularly around when, you know, Boulevard was going through some of the issues yeah. that they were going through that we talked about in episode 36. Right. So that was a couple of weeks back. We were chatting about Boulevard. So we're going to have her come in the show because I'm really interested in her take on the question you asked around when's it okay to start drinking Boulevard beer and this whole notion of cancel culture is a real thing. So we're going to, we're going to walk through that a little bit. You know, I hate that term cancel culture. <laughs> it's more just like if you're shitty and do shitty things, then there are repercussions like, you know, well, and I think that's up. I, I, People understand the term cancel culture. So I use, I know, it, right? I know that's fine. Right. I think we can to everybody's entitled to their choice. Right? Consequence culture, consequence culture. And people decide whether they want to execute their consequence, the consequence of being a consumer of said product. So, Hey, look, we live in a capitalist society where there should be competition. Yeah. Right. And if you can't deal with the competition because you behave poorly then be ready for competition, that's the way I look at it, but I can live with that. We're going to, we, and there's a lot of competition for our, our time and our taste buds with beer. So we're going to talk to, we're going to talk to Alana about that. And then in May, later in May, we're going to have some new folks to the podcast in Kansas city drink scene. They've got a show that I think they're about 10 or 11 episodes in called Drink KC. Mm. And it's co-hosted by a boyfriend and girlfriend. I don't think they're fiancés yet, but boyfriend and girlfriend, Roxy and Corey. And they they don't only touch on craft beer. They We were talking about not discriminating. Yeah. Craft cocktail, wine, craft brewery. Craft alcohol. Alcohol. They didn't want to like pigeonhole themselves into just beer. No, that's fine. So we're going to, we're going to talk to them about their show and some of the places where they've stopped and maybe where they're going on their, on their tour. So we're going to do that. And then one of the other things we might, and I, I don't want to announce the guest just yet because we haven't confirmed the guest as part of our series. I know somebody that has stopped drinking altogether and has taken what he calls a beer vacation or a drink vacation. Yeah. Beer vacation to me means something quite different. Yeah. 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 You and I think of beer vacation and we're thinking of a Caribbean Island where we or, sit in the pool or just go to Minneapolis and hit 14 breweries in four days. Yeah. That's our idea of a yeah. beer vacation. His okay. idea is to take a vacation from hmm. beer. Interesting. And he's made this life choice, you know, different sense of cancel culture. He's canceled alcohol from yeah. his life. And so I thought it'd be interesting to get a counterpoint and talk about why the hell he would do that. I ain't going to feel uncomfortable like drinking around him. Am I? No. All right. Well, he's going to be miles away. He doesn't live here in Kansas city. Oh, so, well. so we're, we may have a, on a guest that does that. So interesting, but we weren't able to get these folks on for a couple of weeks. So you and I needed to create a little bit of an interlude. And what's been interesting is last season when we were doing this in like the height of the pandemic, one of the things 
you know, you and I decided to do was to have local musicians because they couldn't perform out in public. Right. I mean, they're, they couldn't go on and perform a show and you and I've talked about the things that we truly miss as, you know, a result of the pandemic. And one of the big things when we touched on it's travel, we miss travel completely. The other thing I've missed is live music. Yes. Like I really have missed live music. And I got a little bit of that last year outdoors at the iron district. Cause I did some sponsorships mm-hmm. and, and the like of sponsored musicians out there, but that's something I really miss. So I thought we'd talk about music tonight and what it's meant to us. Yeah. I like music. That's definitely, there's about three or four things that I really looking forward to once all this shit gets done with and going to see somebody play. That's, that's definitely up there. And you and I have a big music milestone coming up this weekend. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, but I, I'm hoping we're going to talk more than just about our adventures and bucket drumming. Our professional careers begin on Saturday. Yes. We are going to be part of what they're calling the urban bucket brigade. Yeah. I mean, you know, busking is a, it's a honest work. I mean, I'm I'll do it. And you, you know how I behave. So we're we're actually doing a little bit of a mashup of travel and music because you know how I behave when I see a good bucket drum. I mean, who doesn't love a good bucket drum? I was actually down in the city market last weekend and Di and I were looking at all the vendors and whatnot and all of a sudden like something caught my ear. And I'm like, you know, rabbit ears looking around and there was a dude up there on the corner wailing away on his bucket and I tried to get some footage to kind of wet your beak, but, uh, right when I got my phone out, he took five. Oh no. So, but you could hear him. You could hear the heart. Oh yeah. My heart started beating a little faster and like the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. It was, it was uh, adrenaline pinching. Yes. So as anyone knows that has had the opportunity to travel with me and gone into an inner city and we experience someone with a bucket drum, the world stops. Yeah. Until we get to see the person perform. Yeah. Like I make a stop. We could be on the mission to a restaurant reservation. I make a stop and at least see some of the performance. And anytime I run across one and you're not with me, I'm like, Brent would love this. I would. And I most certainly would. I was in Salt Lake city a couple of years ago. I saw a guy riding his bike, playing the bucket drum. I'm like, I don't even know how you do that. That is the pinnacle as far as I'm concerned. But I saw him and I was like, shit, that's impressive. Brent would love this. <laughs> that's And it's funny that you didn't capture video. And so I have video, me. I think. All right. Well, after, after the show, you'll have to show that to me because I'm sitting here contemplating the last time I saw somebody on a bicycle, I went ahead and sent it to you via text and you were so pissed off at me because it was basically a, non-body shaming and they were all nude oh yeah well i mean that's totally different that's not a bucket drum the guy's dorks hanging out i swear i sent it to you when it happened i mean of course i'm thinking of you dog oh i know i know well i i gotta see it again so anyway our instructor is going to be high so here's the deal folks we're going to be and unfortunately we should have talked about this weeks ago apparently i hadn't even talked to you about it until last week and you're like what the hell I didn't know you had invited me to this thing. So Kansas City Young Audiences. So you, it's going to be you and me with like a bunch of six through 12-year-olds learning how to play the bucket. So that's that's the deal. Hyson Taylor, he's a renowned percussionist here in the city. 
he's the instructor and he's it's called the urban bucket brigade so we're going to be part of the urban bucket brigade by the by end of saturday do i need to bring my own bucket or they will supply buckets but i have so many i will certainly be bringing some extras i think the only i have a bucket i use to brine turkeys i don't know if i want to bring that one and then you know yard bucket but yeah yeah your your home depot bucket your five gallon home home depot mm. bucket will do the do gonna the make trip. a an older boy's dream come true on Saturday. <laughs> it will me. It will me. I think the rest of the board might be out there to watch me make a fool of myself. Wouldn't be the first time. Uh, no, certainly, certainly wouldn't. But I didn't intend for the entire show for us to discuss my my dream of becoming <laughs> a member of the Urban Bucket Brigade. Uh, you and I been you and I been comparing notes on some different music documentaries. Mm. Right. So, and there've been even some shows that have come up. Like I'm really fascinated with this show called song exploder. It's a great podcast that's out there where they take a song and they deconstruct it and they actually converted it into a Netflix documentary. But one of the things you and I were chatting about was this beastie boys documentary that spike Jones had produced. I think he had directed it and yeah. it's like a live audience show that they turned into a documentary. And it's on Apple plus now. Oh my God. It was, it was so good. Like learned so much. I mean, just fascinating their whole story and whatnot, but they actually started out as like a punk band. Mm -hmm. Like, and then they're like, shit, we suck playing instruments. Maybe we could do something else. We love run DMC. Maybe we could do that. Yeah. And then, so they tried to become rappers and was successfully. So yeah. Right. But it's interesting to me, the, what the producer brings to the creative process. Right. So, because that first producer that they had for license to ill, they're talking oh, about, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fight for your right. And it's, so here's a little known fact. When I'm where, when I mow the lawn, I wear headphones. And I listen to the beastie boys. Seems appropriate. Right. And I have this weird, ambivalent relationship now with Fight for Your Right to Party. Yeah. After seeing that documentary. I mean, it was kind of, it kind of hit me too when I think it was Mike D was basically like, if we never played Fight for Your Right again, I'd, I'd be okay with that. Because mm -hmm. they were talking about how it's real. I mean, that song, while it was their big hit, wasn't anything, didn't represent what they were like as people. Yeah. They had to embrace things that they thought were stupid and made fun of, but hey, people like it, so we'll keep playing it. Yeah, same with the song Girls, mm -hmm. right? So they, you know, they hated that song, so it's hard to listen to those songs. Where Paul's Boutique, which was a superior album, was probably more aligned with their with their values. Yeah. But where I said Fight for the Right, where I'm ambivalent about that, that was like the theme song for the Chiefs and our Super Bowl run. <laughs> because of Travis Kelsey. So I still listen to it mm. when I'm on the lawn and it makes me think of, even though I know the beastie boys hate it. I love it because yeah. it makes me think of the chiefs and the super bowl. Right? I forgot about that connection, but yeah, that does kind of put us in a strange spot. Mm. It, it, I mean, it was fascinating and it was, uh, it was just really cool. Cause they basically, you know, the two surviving members, mm -hmm. ad rock, Mike D they came out and they're basically like when MCA died, just stop being a band like it it didn't even seem possible like why would we keep going because he was the soul i mean you got the sense that through the oh yeah he was the heart and soul of you yeah. know he's the one that put it all together but 
yeah, it was, it was kind of sad. I mean, in some ways, but just really fascinating how they made it up through the ranks and yeah, they didn't get to do Paul's boutique at that point. They were kind of established so they could actually go back to their, you know, what they wanted to do, but to kind of get started, they had to play some shit that maybe they weren't really behind. Yeah. And they evolved over time and certainly with each album. Yeah. It's truly sad that, you know, Adam Yao MCA passed away from cancer and that, I mean, it stunted basically them as a, them as a band, but if people haven't seen it, it's phenomenal. So yeah, the, the other crazy nugget that I, I was like, man, I had no idea was that when they first came up, they friggin' opened for Madonna's first tour. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that part where they're basically like took on the persona of a wrestler because, you know, they just wanted to be different. They're like, we may suck, but at least people are going to remember us. Yeah. And they're out there just like talking shit like, you motherfuckers ain't shit. <laughs> and then they said, now picture who we're, who we're saying this to. 13-year-old girls there to see Madonna play. <laughs> I mean, I was rolling. It was like, know your audience. Yeah. <laughs> know, your, know your audience. Oh, my gosh. Well, the other show, I don't know if you've seen it. But what's interesting about that, like we talked about the evolution or that split in their careers, mm -hmm. the other documentary I watched recently, and I think it's on HBO Max. It is. Is the one about the Bee Gees. Yeah. And because most people associate the Bee Gees with disco, yeah. right? Right, wrong, or indifferent. And then you go and watch the documentary and you find out or remember, depending on how long you've been around on this, how long you've been on this earth, you remember they had a 10 year career leading up to as pop singers mm -hmm. and they've got the song coming home to, I think it's, I'm going to butcher the fucking title. It's coming home to Massachusetts. Yeah. Which was like a huge ballad hit before they ever became disco, you know, favorites and yeah. it's just so crazy to see all the hits and as songwriters that they had and pop, yeah. pop stars yeah that is crazy i mean it just shows that they're just trying to find their way and you know i guess you go where the ears are and eventually they became you know saturday night fever put them on the map but yeah yeah it's nuts yeah and i think if i remember correctly the story with that was they were supposed to write one song for the soundtrack and by the time they got into the process, they were like, no, 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 this, they started writing other stuff. They wrote the whole album for something else. And then the studio and everybody caught wind of the rest of their album they were working on. They're like, this has just become the soundtrack for, mm. for the freaking movie. And I, the, I have a soft place in my heart, even for the disco side of that, because, you know, I converted that into a story idea. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember that. It's actually a story I sold. So, you know, 100 beats, it's a, like a superhero story. So it's, which, so, you know, I've performed staying alive. Oh, yeah, I you saw you see. in front of a room of people <laughs> singing disco. Yeah, not at the Bee Gees falsetto level. I don't have that falsetto. No, no. I don't know if too many people do. The Barry Gibb. That <laughs> Barry Gibb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. Well, speaking of people with killer falsettos and you were just mentioning Minneapolis, you know where my musical heartbeat is. Oh, I know. Share, share a birthday <clears throat> with the fellow untimely demise. Yes. Well, so, when a 
83 pound man takes horse tranquilizers that tends to happen. Yeah, that does tend to happen. And you, so, you know, when we went to Minneapolis, this was before the beer tour, we went to Paisley park and saw Prince's palace. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was something, man. That was, that was to your point earlier. We love travel. We love music. That was like the perfect bridge because we were in a cool city and then went and saw somebody near and dear to all of our hearts years in particular. Yeah. And it was, it was crazy to see the way he lived and just how much of the focus was on the music because you, you know, we walk into that atrium in Paisley park and anybody that's been to Paisley park knows this, but if you haven't been to Paisley park is it looks more like an air hanger than it does a home. Right. From the outside, you're like practically in an in industrial district. Yeah. I mean, it looks like warehouse, you know, it's does not look like a home. No. And you go in and in the atrium, he's got this little kitchenette area. And you're thinking, this is Prince. Right. He could afford this is diamond and pearls Prince. Yeah. And you walk in, he's got this kitchenette and he's got like Formica and laminate on his kitchen countertops. I'm like, I just ripped that shit out. I would think Prince would at least have quartz or like fine granite. And you could just tell there were certain parts of now you would go to his music studio and his music studio would have this ridiculous wood that you could only find in like a remote region of the world. Zebra but, wood or something. But yeah, but his kitchen head, he was like, I just need eggs in here. It don't matter. I'm going to roll onto the studio and that's where it matters. Well, I mean, it was, there was only two things super important to him, the music and sex and the kitchen ain't got no place for either of those. No. So, well, we did learn he had more than kitchen and sex. Those were the two top. Apparently he also loved finding Nemo. Yeah. And waffles. I like waffles. Yeah. I like waffles. Great. Like donkey lo level love of waffles from Shrek. So, so anyway, for the folks, folks are like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm uh, thinking that what's that? I'm thinking that what the hell we're we talking. Well, there was a story of basically he would throw parties and put on. I didn't get the Shrek reference though. Oh, the, he says waffles. Oh, okay. Yeah. I love waffles. Everybody loved parfait. Yeah. Everybody. Loved so anyway, Prince especially loved waffles. Yeah. Well, when you're up at 4 a.m. having sex, you know, waffles are pretty good after that. a little sugar intake after yeah, exactly after the, all the sex, you know, what's interesting is the Minneapolis, we made that a destination trip. Our producer was listening to our episode and having us, you know, about where we were discussing all the beer cities mm -hmm. and he was having us highly, he, he poked us about that and said, you know what? You guys should, Chad's got some time now. He's retired. Brent, you can move around You get out and about. And now that you're both vaccinated, you guys should be doing a beer tour. Yeah. And we can kind of keep the music and travel thing going and take our bucket drums with us. And we could you know, make a little scratch on the road. But one of the stops we have potentially could have good beer music and everything is the Cleveland stop. Yeah. I was so, watching the, uh, the NFL drafts before I came over here in Cleveland this weekend. Yes. Yeah. It's a cool town. Rock and roll hall of fame. You and I both live there. 
Yes, we both lived there at one point in time. I don't think I've been back since, but nor have I. But that would make a good trip. I think Milwaukee was on part of the list, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know the musical heritage of Milwaukee. I'm sure they a, got some. I'm sure there's a good musical heritage there. And then Asheville, North Carolina. I don't know what the musical heritage is. Probably not the music we want to listen to. No, probably not. But Cleveland certainly Cleveland certainly is. Yeah. And now one of your favorite bands, What what's the best show that you've ever seen? Mm. I don't know. That's tough. I was actually really surprised. I mean, I like their music, but. I certainly didn't think they were going to be the type of band that put on an incredible show, but Coldplay was friggin' awesome. Mm-hmm. U2 was great. Foo always puts on a great show. Yep. Now, are they being <clears throat> inducted into the Hall of Fame this year? They are, yeah. So mm, that'd be cool. That's what I was thinking. See, and I, I knew eventually you'd come back around to Foo. Yeah. I like Foo. Yeah, that would actually be a cool trip. And that's one of the best shows I know I've seen because we saw the we saw one of the shows where Dave Grohl was still in his cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, those guys just seem like fun. Like I just would love to have a beer with those guys. New Orleans or wherever, I don't care. Yeah. Now that would be phenomenal to be able to see them. Well, New Orleans would be great because that that was one of the prompts for you and I when we went to New Orleans to go to yeah. Preservation Hall. Yeah, they recorded because they recorded there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the Foo, the Foo Fighter thing, that is probably one of my favorite moments ever from a concert was when, you know, Dave Grohl comes out in that chair because his leg is still freaking broken. I mean, didn't he fall off stage? He fell off a stage. He and- fell off the stage like 12 feet, snapped his leg, and he knew he fucked it up, but they're like, we need to get you to the hospital. And he goes, we're in the middle of a gig. And they're like, yeah, I know, but you broke your leg. And he goes, we can go afterwards. And he basically had a doctor there on, at the concert that held his leg in place as he sat in a chair and he finished the gig and then went to the hospital. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. That's dedication to your craft. That's total love and dedication to your craft and your fans. And they're one of those bands, too, that they're basically like, we may play 100 gigs a year, but, man, we want people to get their money's worth. We, you know, they came out and they're like, we don't do this encore bullshit. Like we're going to come out here. We're going to play for two and a half hours and you're going to get your money's worth. And yeah, I mean, he was basically in a wheelchair, a very cool wheelchair, but it was, it was ba- awesome. It was basically a game of Thrones wheelchair made out of guitars yeah. instead of swords. That's what it was. That was fucking awesome. about that. Chair. Yeah. And then they just had that long stretch that went pretty much all the way across the floor of the arena and. I still laugh whenever I think about, I hear the song, the pretender mm-hmm. and one part, you know, where the guitar is going crazy and Dave looks up, slaps his hands. He's like, I'm coming to you <laughs> at like 2.3 miles per hour. <laughs> it's like the lady in the Walmart on the cart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but man, everybody loved it. No, it was. And the rest of the band would take, you know, they would take a break. Every once in a while during that two and a half hour set and he stayed out there yeah. and performed, which was just freaking phenomenal. That was a crazy weekend. Cause that was the weekend, uh, you know, we went and saw that first show. I hadn't seen them before. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I'd seen them. Me too. And then I had to get, you know, get up three hours later and hit a, catch a flight to, oh, yeah, catch a flight to that. Seattle. That was a, that was a crazy, crazy weekend. 
you were talking earlier about how, you know, the pandemic, we're just dying to get out there, see music and do stuff again. So we've seen the Black Keys play three times. Yep. And after the last time we went, Diane, my wife was basically like, yeah, I'm done seeing them. If you and Brent want to go see him again, that's great, but, but I'm done. And a couple of weeks ago, I told her that the Black Keys have a new album coming out next month. And she's like, <laughs> I might see them again. <laughs> so I think everybody's just dying, to, you know, for some normalcy and have some fun. Yeah. You and I saw them. They we were like the second stop in their their tour, their re basically their reunion tour, because they'd been apart. Yeah. And hadn't performed for like six years. And it kind of to be honest, as much as I love them, because their show that we saw on the crossroads is still one of my favorite all time shows. Mm-hmm. You know, smaller venue, everything. I couldn't hear for three days afterwards. I've got great video of that show. Yeah. Their last show, I'll be honest, I was a little disappointed because they seemed a little rough, right? Oh, I agree. I mean, the second one was great, too. That was the first one at the Sprint Center. But yeah, yeah, the last one wasn't great. Yeah, the last one. But I I think I need to get that bad taste. If they they go back out on tour, I'll probably go see them again because I want to get that bad taste out of my mouth. Oh, they're going back on tour. Oh, yeah. If they're promoting. Yeah, they're going to promote. Everybody's like. We need some money and we want to get out of our houses. Like, (laughs) yeah, we're touring. (laughs) We're touring. So what's one of the more memorable shows that you've been to? Mm. And this doesn't include the, was it, what was it? Was it not the Van Halen show where your brother-in-law was, had to be carted around on a golf cart oh, because yeah. he was incapacitated? Not that show. Yeah. But the first time I saw, it was like 2007 when they first got back together with David Lee Roth. And I was so excited about that show. And, all they said was Van Halen was playing. And of course we wanted to get there early. Cause it's one of those, you know, when do they go on? We don't know. I ain't missing any of it. I want to see this. And the opening band was friggin' cool in the gang, oh. which seems like such an odd pairing, but man, they, they friggin' rocked. I mean, cool. in the gang's badass still. Yeah. They're badass. And I, I saw them at like a Royals game or something, mm. you know, where it was like, they only played like a three, a three song set yeah. or something. It was, they're kind of like Leonard Skinner now. Like they just keep, there's really no member. Like there's no founding members. I don't think it's basically just plug and play new guys. And we're just going to all operate under the name cool in the gang, but they were still great. That's cool. That reminds me like one of the more memorable shows I've ever seen was one of the first shows that I really saw. And it was, I was a freshman in college at KU. And I was actually part of the student organization Mm -hmm. and worked on as a volunteer and actually ran security. I didn't run security, but I was part of the security crew. Were you the cooler or the bouncer? I was a mini bouncer (laughs) because I'm not very tall, but I was at least stout (laughs) enough to deter people from coming up onto the stage. I was was detailed to be right out in front of the stage. Mm right outside the mosh pit. So I was in between a barricade. There was a mosh pit barricade me and then the stage. And the show was in 1992, May of 1992. And it was, and we had signed this little known band that was opening in 1991 for the red hot chili peppers. Mm. And they, they signed this band and said, Oh, this will be a great band for this free outdoor concert. We're going to do in Lawrence, Kansas. 
and it was fucking Pearl Jam. Oh, wow. And then Pearl Jam, just over the course of the year, exploded into who they are today. And if I were them, I'm sure they could have bailed on their contract to play this free outdoor show in Lawrence, Kansas. Yeah. And normally this outdoor concert would get like 5,000 people, you know, and that year, because it was them, 20,000 plus. Now, I don't think anybody ever got an accurate read on how many people were there, but they knew there were 20,000 plus people there on the hill in Lawrence, Kansas to watch the show. Mm. And it was freaking cool because of that. The other thing that was super cool about that is Eddie Vedder literally swung on a mic. You can go onto YouTube and you can watch him in his younger days. He would swing like a freaking animal on his microphone wire. He would climb up the scaffolding of, of the, the stage. And then he would grab the microphone wire and he would swing over the crowd on his microphone wire in the back on the stage. He was literally swinging right over the top of my head. What's the tensile strength of a microphone wire? Uh, pretty damn strong, I'm guessing. And I don't no, think no, he's, he's a large not, man. He's not but... a big man. He's Prince size. Mm. Maybe a little more muscular Still, than Prince. But I wouldn't have my kids swing on that. No. And then the other crazy thing that happened that day, says I was after the show was over, I got to move backstage and work security backstage. I was letting people in and checking credentials is I always contended you would watch like the Ed Sullivan show, you know, like the old black and whites and you'd see the Beatles and you'd see all these people like, you know, the, they'd announce the Beatles and you see these women and men girls fainting and girls fainting. And I'm like, that's bullshit. That never, <laughs> that never happens. Never in my life. Will I ever see that happen? And I let these two teenage girls backstage. One of them runs up, kisses Eddie Vedder on the cheek and then just fucking hits the pavement. Like right after just had so much bliss, internal bliss out of kissing him on the cheek. The body just shut down. The body shut down and she, she hit the pavement. Mm. So we're calling like medics and you know, stuff to just check on her. And did everything. Eddie like check on her? Oh, he was concerned. What? He was highly concerned. He's a good guy. He's yeah. He was a, he was a really decent human being. Apparently, and I don't want to get too far in this because I don't want to get newbie in trouble, but you know, our buddy newbie who makes appearances, not literally yeah. on the show, but we talk about him from time to time. He's got his own Pearl Jam Eddie Vetter story from out in Clinton Lake the night before where there may have been some participation in some products that were questionable. So I'll leave newbie to tell that story. You're just going to throw that out there and then just walk away. Yeah. Just going to walk away. Like the girl passing out. What a jip. I'm going to, I'm going to walk, I'm going to walk away. Apparently he got to share them with the Pearl Jam folks, whatever that was. So now I'm curious. Yeah. You, uh, you have any other stories that are just striking you right now? I think you want to mention that I may have missed or one of the craziest ones was that had to have been like 1987 or something. The Monsters of Rock tour at Arrowhead. <laughs> that was some crazy shit. Like, I literally saw everything. Like, I grew up like five years in that one concert. You became I a man. literally saw everything. It was <laughs> it was wild. But when you have Dokken, Metallica, Scorpions, Van Halen, I don't even remember who else was there. But it was nuts. Yeah. I was not a big, like, hardcore rock aficionado. 
But Metallica is one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, they're great. Hunter Hunter took me out to took me to a Metallica show, and I, it was it was phenomenal. I would go see Metallica again in a heartbeat. I heard very recently that they have a song coming out. It's a duet with Elton John. I'm not making this up. It's coming out soon. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, they both need the work, so they're like. Hey, let's do a mashup with somebody that, you know, Elton John's done like a retirement tour. I don't know how many times actually. Yeah, I think, but you know, the, those funds dry up. So you got to oh, dip into the well one more time. Oh. Van Halen's done it like five times. Yeah. Another VH1 special. Well, speaking of VH1 specials, you, you ready for a round of triple D? Sure. Did you see that I had three choices tonight? I did. So the music arena is is so ripe for triple D's. I mean, they're all kind of fucked up, but you know. <laughs> the, the, did you have a favorite out of the out uh, of the three? I mean, I found the first one kind of disturbing. All three of these have happened, by the way. Yeah, and we've experienced all three of these. I'll probably go with number two. Number two. Oh. All right. I feel like I'm on a game show or something. I, like. I know. So. So, folks, just so they know, and then if you want us to cover another one of the three, we will. Number Choice number one for <laughs> Triple D is, what do you call someone who shoves a pregnant woman at a show? Actually, Becca was in her third trimester. She got shoved by another woman and actually spilt, because she was in her third trimester, she was actually enjoying her lone beer of the show, and the woman like knocked half the beer out of her cup. She was so pissed. They throw hands? They didn't throw hands, but they started shouting at one another. Yeah. That's where the you watch it lady. So if you ever Becca. Go, oh, that's where that came from. That's yeah. No, you watch it lady. That's where that comes from. Mm. It's because she got shoved. Choice number two is what do you call someone who climbs out of GA into the area where you paid good money for a reserve ticket and they act put out when you want to sit in your seat or even just take up that physical space? Yeah. Right. That was the black keys. Right? That was the black keys and the yeah. crossroads. Yeah. We paid, we paid good money for VIP and then people were climbing over the gate into VIP and like pushing us out of the way. Yeah. VIP just meant you get to stand directly in front of the speakers. <laughs> you will be deaf. <laughs> Enjoy. Hope it was worth it. Yes. And then uh, option number three is what do you call someone who brings their five-year-old child to the mosh pit? So this was the Pearl Jam experience. I told you I worked the mosh pit security. I pulled a five-year-old child out of the mosh pit. His parents were baked, cooked, whatever you want to call it, out of their gourd Mm. and had their child and they were moshing violently and I had to pull their child out of the, out of the mosh pit. That's just bad parenting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Even you and I know that we have, questionable parenting skills at times yeah all right so we're gonna go with we're gonna go with two but if people want us to respond to any of the others so if you're not familiar with triple d here's what we do each time we get together and do a show we discuss a scenario it's generally bad behavior it's almost always bad behavior and we discuss whether it's a dick douche or dumbass move and so for this week what we're gonna do is this week's triple d is what do you call someone who climbs out of GA into the area where you paid good money for a ticket and kind of nudges you out of the way 
doesn't really want you to occupy the space you paid good money for. Yeah. That dick douche or dumbass move. It's tougher than it sounds because it's basically like they're just fired up. I don't, kind of a, I guess I could go douche this time. Really? I don't know. See, I was thinking douche was probably not, was the only option that wasn't maybe on the t- table other than they're lacking some self-awareness. I mean, so it's maybe not because they're all super fired up, right? Yeah, but douchiness, like sometimes like you're just so self-absorbed that the world is all about you and revolves around you that I could just hop the fence. And why would you be offended that I'm interfering in your space? Like, yeah. Now that you describe it that way, I could see that it's not like a dickish thing where my intent is like, I'm fully aware of my actions. Yeah. I could see, I could see that. I could see some dumbassery mixed into that too. It's actually kind of smart. So that's where I wasn't going to go dumbass because I paid 30, you paid 80. And, and if I'm I, in your space and I can get away with it. Yeah. All so right. That's kind of a dick. Yeah. It's either dick or douche to me, but uh, I'm going to go with douche. I, you know, based on your explanation logic, I think I tend to agree with you. I don't, if American politics were to have an open discussion like this, we would be so much further along. <laughs> you were hell bent. It wasn't going to be douche. I was, and I made a compelling argument and look at us now. I, we're going to like, cheers, sir. Sure. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't the greatest Royals manager ever, but I, he had a quote was Hal McRae. He had a quote. I fully embraced when he was manager and he, he used, I modified his quote, but he's like, any man who has a mind has the right to change it. Yeah. Right. And so I say any person who has a mind has the right to change it. So I, I was sitting there thinking it was definitely just dumbass, Right. But, you convince I heard your arguments and you convinced me otherwise. Yeah. So should Chad, have been on the debate team. You should have been on the debate team. Damn. So Chad has through debate has solved the riddle of the triple D of the person that jumps the, the GA line into your space. They're being a douche. Call them out. Call them a douche. Yeah. And ask them to get their ass back over the gate. If the douche fits. Yes. So any final thoughts before we pack it up for tonight? No, I'm just kind of more excited now to go, go see a show somewhere. I'm ready to see a show. I'm so we're not far off now. It's going to happen. Yes. Anyway, you might, and I'm ready to hit the rock and roll hall of fame. Sure. All right, everybody. Thanks for hanging with us tonight. If you've enjoyed today's episode, go out to the hump podcast website thehumppodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter. Remember, you can catch us live now on Facebook because we're back in person whenever we damn well feel like it, which is really going to be about every week now. And don't forget to rate us and leave us a comment on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. All right, everybody. Take care. See you.